Hey everyone, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that renews your excitement for your own personal study and helps you passionately teach what you are learning to others. My name is Zach and I'm here with Krista and this is episode 31, Alma 38 through 42, It's Not Fair. That's That's the title. That's the title of the episode. (laughs) Um, but we're excited to be with you. We're excited to be this this far into the Book of Mormon. Um, we are. We really like these chapters. If you remember last episode, we began with the letters that Alma writes to his children. This is part two of those letters. He'll write to two of his children, and we're excited to dive in. For our study tip this week, we are going to do a, something a little different, and with that, we need your help. We have had a few people in the past send us some ideas that they've had of study tips or study tips that have helped them that we have recommended on the podcast. And we are asking for a few more of those. Maybe you have an experience with one of the study tips that we have mentioned here, or maybe you have your own study tip that is a tried and true tip that you use and love in your own scripture study, we would love to hear from you. And whether that's, you know, send us a DM through Instagram. If you follow us there, it's um, the Scripture Study Project. Or you can email us. We've mentioned this email a couple times. Let's see, what is it? The Scripture nope. Study. Nope. Scripture Study Project at gmail.com. No, the. No, the. Anyway, you can, you can find us on Instagram or through the email um, and reach out. We would love to maybe share some of your tips that you have out there because. You know, we've been here doing 30 study tips. We hope that we aren't too redundant. And we would just love, you know, some fresh and faithful ideas from you. Because yeah. maybe we're running out of fresh ideas. This isn't a cop-out. We, we could keep going with study ideas. But we, we felt in the last couple of weeks we want to make this more interactive. We want you to be able to take a part in the episode. Because even though we're the ones doing the Scripture Study Project podcast, we are not the scripture study experts necessarily. We don't have a corner on the market on how to do this well. And your perspective could help someone else. So again, we want your study tips. We want your study experiences. We want things that you've tried from the podcast that have worked or things that you've been doing for years that you think might help someone else. We would love to start featuring these at the beginning of our episodes. Um, If you want to send us a recording, an audio clip, or a video clip, we can't put video on the podcast, but we can put the audio of the video on the podcast. We'd love to let your voice be heard. Anything and everything you could do to help um, us grow this, this kind of scripture study wave that we're trying to start, we would love it. And then for the next, we've got, I guess, 19 episodes left throughout the year, the rest of the year, which is kind of crazy. Um, we'll intermingle some of some of your ideas with maybe some others that we come up with throughout. So we would love it if you would do that. So, okay. So there you go. Um, now on to the study. Now on to the study. Well, before we dive in, this question was posed in our sacrament meeting today uh, by one of our speakers. And I thought it was really intriguing and it actually lines up perfectly with what we're studying here. So he said he was driving down the freeway and he saw a billboard that on the billboard just said, life isn't fair. And then later on in his talk, he, he amended the billboard and he taught or explained that in his opinion, life, mortal life isn't fair, eternal life is. But that first question or that first statement, life isn't fair, caught my attention. 
And I've had that question a lot. I've posed it to people and I've asked it of myself, is life fair? Is Are things fair? And do we actually want things to be fair? Um, I think it was my grandpa that loved to tell the joke, there's only two fairs in life, state and county. Um, whenever someone would say it's not fair, but do we do we want fairness? Do we want things to be fair? I don't know. I I think we've you did, didn't mention that you hear that from our kids all <laughs> yeah. the time. Uh-huh. And I think oh, I hadn't heard that one from your grandpa, but I think I might start saying that myself because honestly, it's one of my favorite things to say to our kids is, yeah, you're right. It's not Life fair. Isn't fair. But at the same time, I have that wrestle in myself of wanting to make it fair and maybe less it's a little bit easier for me to talk about like outside sources like well yeah of course that peer of yours has Mm. this thing and you don't but life's not fair but when it comes to that inner sibling which we actually had this experience parent to sibling even right right yeah i'm not fair yeah you want to make like you want to make everything fair amongst the siblings. And we had this this weekend because our son had a birthday last week, and it's kind of a big birthday. He was turning eight, and, you know, he we decided to go to Lagoon and celebrate his birthday. And then, oh, wait, we're going to invite some friends over and cousins to just just have a little another celebration. And then you, you get Grandma the idea. Grandma and coming into town. And, and it, it snowballs, and pretty soon it's this huge birthday, and you realize, oh, no, my other kids haven't got anything, and... It's not fair, and it's not fair. So here we were at the mall yesterday, and I, of course, had to pick up an extra Lego thing at the Lego store for the son whose birthday it wasn't. And now are we? We went through the wrestle as I called Zach and said, "Okay, am I really going to do this? Because then is this going to bite us in the butt?" We have to buy a present for every sibling <laughs> exactly. whose birthday it's not to make it fair. And that to was to make it whatever fair is. Because then I was having this discussion with my mother-in-law on the way home of like. Well, what is fair? Is it the size? Because for a certain age, it's, well, they got 10 presents. It doesn't matter how expensive those presents were. You know, is it volume? Is it mass? Is it how expensive an item is? Or, ah, you really get into a mess when you try and decide what fairness is, especially with your children. I'm sure many of you can understand that. So that's the question. Is it fair? Is life fair? Which I'm sure we could pretty, uh, pretty confidently answer it's not. But the real ringer question is, is God fair? And do we want him to be? So here's the background of the story. Last week, of course, we were studying Alma's letter to his son, Helaman. This week, it's Alma's letter to his two sons, Shiblon, and then to his son, Coriantum. And what's not fair is the fact that we're going to spend like two minutes on Shiblon. He gets 15 verses. And uh, I don't know, I guess that's kind of how it is, right? That the the good kid gets the the shortest well, I chapter. Think, I think that's another parenting lesson that we can learn here is that sometimes you're the good and what it, he's called the steady. You're my steady son. What does he say? Yeah. Well, this is, so this is verse, verse two that Alma says to Shiblon. Now, my son, I trust that you shall have, I shall have great joy in you because of your steadiness and your faithfulness unto God. So he's the steady and the faithful one. And so he gets 15 not, verses. <laughs> there's not much maintenance. And I think that that's an important thing for us to to notice. Maybe you're the steady child or maybe you're, you have a steady child that maybe needs a little more attention or more mm-hmm. verses in your, in your heart or place. But um, anyway, we just thought that was kind of funny. So Shiblon's steady and he's faithful. I heard a, a stake president say that 
he read Alma 38 with every return missionary um, because of this line right here, still in verse 2. For as you have commenced in your youth to look to the Lord your God, even so I hope that you will continue in keeping his commandments. For blessed is he that endureth to the end. And so Shiblon's praised for his steadiness. Corianton, however, is in trouble. This is Alma 39, verse 1. And now, my son, I have somewhat more to say to thee than what I said to your brother. For behold, have you not observed the steadiness of your brother, his faithfulness and his diligence in keeping the commandments? Behold, has he not set a good example for you? Um, this is the kind of traditional, why can't you be more like your brother? And Corianton's in trouble because of some particular, specific, and pretty serious sins. For thou didst not give so much heed unto my words as did thy brother among the people of the Zoramites. Now this is what I have against thee. Thou didst go boasting in thy strength and thy wisdom. And this is not all. Thou didst do that which is grievous unto me, for thou didst forsake the ministry, and didst go into the land of Siron among the borders of the Lamanites after the harlot Isabel. She did steal away the hearts of many, but this was no excuse for thee, my son. Thou shouldst have tended to the ministry wherewith thou wast entrusted. You boasted. You uh, essentially hired um, hired a, a, a prostitute and left your mission. Now, the rest of chapter 39 is a chapter explaining to Corianton the grievousness of his violation of the law of chastity um, and how serious it is. Alma will rank violations of the law of chastity as the third most serious sin. He will also very clearly explain, however, that you can repent from violations of the law of chastity. Whenever I study this with students, we always hit that point because you have to remember, I think one of the biggest lies that Satan tells is that violation of the law of chastity is so serious that there's no coming back from it. And there is complete coming back from it. One of the, my favorite things about Corianton is, if you fast forward a couple of chapters in Alma, there's that great line, great verse, where Alma is talking about Captain Moroni. And he says, if all men were and are and ever would be like unto Captain Moroni, yea, the very powers of hell would be shaken, and the devil would have no power over the hearts of the children of men. And then in the next verse, he says, for he was a man like Alma and his sons. Listed as one of those sons is Corianton. Mm -hmm. Corianton is one of the heroic, faithful, and powerful missionaries of the Book of Mormon, despite the fact that he did this extremely uh, grievous sin, for which he's chastised in scripture for. I was having a conversation with a friend about, um, maybe some of you watch This Is Us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, totally gonna use it. But I, you know, I just love the character of, of Jack on the, the dad of that show. And you know what someone said like, well, he, he's an alcoholic. And I said, I know that makes me love him all the more. And maybe you can see that I love the way that they have portrayed. If you haven't seen the show, it's this, he's a, a wonderful person and dad, yet he, it shows this humanity. Weak, yeah. This humanity, this weak side of him that really just shows how multidimensional a person can be. Mm -hmm. And I, I had never known that about Corianton, like what you just said. And I love thinking of that because aren't we all just human? Mm -hmm. We're just... Oh, what a sheep. I, you yeah, know, that yeah, episode, I, I thought a lot about that. Like, just, and I love knowing that about Corianton because, you know, we all make mistakes. And I think that's the perfect example that 
we can repent and God forgives us. And that shows the power of, um, of Jesus Christ through that. Yeah. So we're not going to spend tons of time in 39, but hopefully when you read it on your own, you read it as a chapter of hope, not a chapter of condemnation. I've heard lessons in Alma 39 where Alma 39 is used like a bat to beat people into repenting for inappropriate thoughts or for violations of the law of chastity. It should be used rather as a chapter to explain how merciful and how forgiving a loving God is. In chapters 40, 41 and 42, however, Corianton asks three questions. And Alma is going to take a chapter each to respond to each one of those questions. In chapter 40, I'm paraphrasing, but Corianton's question at the beginning of chapter 40 is, what about death? What happens to people, especially what happens to sinners, people that make mistakes once they die? And so Alma chapter 40 is the great chapter on the spirit world, where Alma explains the different states, not places, but states that people exist in when they're in the spirit world. They're not necessarily different physical locations, but rather different states of being just like this earth here is. Chapter 41, Corianton's question is about resurrection, or about restoration is what he calls it. And so chapter 41 is a great chapter on resurrection. And Alma clarifies uh, that we will be restored, the good to that which is good, the evil to that which is evil. But chapter 42 is the question that I really want to get at, and it's the one we began this episode with. So, 42 verse 1. And now, my son, I perceive there is somewhat more which doth worry your mind, which you cannot understand, which is concerning the justice of God in the punishment of the sinner. Now, here it comes. For you do try to suppose that it is injustice that the sinner should be consigned to a state of misery. In other words, Corianton's statement is, it's not fair. It's not fair that a sinner should be consigned to a state of misery for his mistakes. It's not fair. And so the question that comes up is, is God fair? And if he's fair, is he merciful? And is he, if he's merciful, is he also fair? And so we want to take just a couple of minutes and walk through a little bit in chapter 42 and share some of our thoughts. And the reason why is because I think we misunderstand justice and mercy. And I think if we get it right, uh, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, and a lot of worry can disappear and be replaced by honest and sincere repentance. Yeah, those first couple chapters to Corianton, you know, are really those kind of physical mechanics is what I'm picturing of how of how the afterlife is going to go. But I, I've loved this chapter, and as we are about to study a little deeper here, is just really that, um, that heart and mind, how we're filling in our heart and mind about our own personal weaknesses and sins. And here he is setting us up to understand that Jesus Christ is the way for that peace and joy that comes through this redemption. And you can sense Corianton's pain and struggle here, right? I'm the sinner, and I'm the one that will be consigned to misery and woe, and that's not fair. Especially when he did compare him to his brother in right, that first right. chapter. Right, <laughs> that's not fair. So Alma clarifies a couple of things, teaches some powerful principles that aren't new to us, but sometimes are tricky in comparison or in, or in combination. Um, first point. First question, is God fair? 
Well, Alma answers this at the bottom of verse 13, uh, where he says, The justice of God could not be destroyed. If so, God would cease to be God. In other words, God is fair, or God is just, is the word that Alma uses. He has to be. If he doesn't, if he's not just, if he is not 100% completely just, then he ceases to be God. President Packer explains this a little further. He says, Justice is usually pictured holding a set of scales and blindfolded against the possibility that she may be partial or become sympathetic. There is no sympathy in justice alone, only justice. Our lives will be weighed on the scales of justice. And then he says the prophet Alma declared in Alma chapter 42, Justice claimeth the creature and executeth the law, and the law inflicteth the punishment. If not so, the works of justice would be destroyed and God would cease to be God. You just read. Right. So is God just? Yes, he's just. He has to be. I, I, the last time I explored this thought with, with students, I asked them to describe a just or a fair uh, teacher, math teacher, right? So rewind to your high school days. Do you remember math teacher? Is your math teacher fair? Do you want your math teacher to be fair? If someone obeys the rules of class, should they earn the grade? If they disobey the rules, should there be punishment? And is there, do you want your math teacher to be completely fair? And most students said, Yes, we do, until I started posing some scenarios that changed to, well, maybe, no, we don't. So, for example, is it fair for your math teacher to give A's and B's, to give different grades to different students? Most people say, yes, that's fair. Is it fair for a math teacher to give an A to a student who scored better on all the tests and a B to a student who scored uh, poorer on the tests? Yes, that's fair. What if the student who scored poorer on all of the tests, however, worked much harder at those tests and cared much more about their studies than the student who earned the A. Taking tests comes naturally, and so the student naturally earned an A. Is it fair then? Is it fair for a math teacher to give an A to that student and a B to the student who worked harder but is just not as good at taking tests? What if um, the student that earned an A cheated? Is it fair for a math teacher to give an A on the test then? What if the student who earned a B earned a B because they were out of class for three weeks because a parent or a family member passed away? The syllabus doesn't say unless a family member passes away. It says if you don't turn in these assignments, you don't get a grade. And so the math teacher says, I'm sorry you didn't turn in your assignments. Therefore, you have a B. Is that fair? And once we start wrestling with fairness, sometimes it becomes really tricky especially in the scripture when we throw in a balancing principle. So verse 15, um, well, verse 14 and 15, here's the problem. Thus we see that all mankind were fallen, and they were in the grasp of justice, yea, the justice of God, which consigned them forever to be cut off from his presence. So because God is 100% just, and because celestial law demands that violation of truth or violation of laws demands a separation from God, we are, because of justice, forever separated from God. We have to be. So the balancing principle, verse 15, and now the plan of mercy could not be brought about except an atonement should be made. And so there's our balancing principle. Is God merciful? Now this one's the tricky one. I asked a student this last time I was teaching him, um, I said, is God just? Is God fair? And the student said, yeah, God's just, fair. He has to be. And I said, is God merciful? 
and he paused for a minute and uh, we thought about it because he couldn't in his mind, and this is a bright student, couldn't in his mind reconcile God being merciful with God being just. I think that's a fair I wrestle mean, to have. I wouldn't go around calling myself bright by any means, but I think I have that same wrestle, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great question he had. So is it? Is, is God, how can God be both at the same be time? Be both at the same time. I have that same I still have that same question. So know? we go back to the math teacher. Which is why it's good we're studying this right now. <laughs> So the student comes in. I've been, I, my, my, my brother, my sister passed away. Something horrible happened to my family. That's why I've been out of school for the last three weeks. However, in the syllabus, it states, if you do not turn in your assignments on time, there's a no grade. If the math teacher is just, if the math teacher adheres to the law perfectly, the answer of the teacher to the student is, I'm sorry, you just failed the course. Now, there's no mercy in that, right? However, if the math teacher chooses to be merciful and says, okay, I'll give you three extra weeks, well, now the math teacher is merciful to that student, but also unjust to all the other students who were there and did obey the laws. What about the next student that comes in and missed those three weeks just because he was lazy? Does the math teacher extend the same mercy there? And now the math teacher has to make a judgment call, which then everyone cries, that's not fair. Um, President Packer gives that great example in his talk, where he, the mediator, where he explains this, um, this dilemma between a creditor who is 100% just and the debtor who demands mercy, and the two of them being at an impasse. When I asked my student, is God merciful? The answer he came to eventually was, well, God is just and Jesus is merciful, right? There's a third party that comes in, a merciful mediator that pays the price that the creditor demands. He's the one that does the extra homework so the student can earn an A and then turns to the debtor and extends mercy. I love that illustration, except I have misunderstood it until just this year when I studied Alma 42. And here's what I missed. Point number one, chapter 42 is talking about the Lord God who is Jesus Christ. So this chapter is about Jesus Christ. So he is the He is just. just. It's not that we're talking about the Father being just right. and Jesus being merciful. The whole chapter is about, the, about Savior. the Savior. Right. Yeah, that is. So he is just, right? Verse End of verse 13. If he's not just, he ceases to be God. So Jesus Christ is 100% just. He is our eventual judge. And as such, he has to adhere to all laws. There's no bending. There's no freebies. There's no exceptions. There's no yeah buts. He has to be 100% just. Every law broken demands a punishment. However, point two, Jesus is just and merciful. And so question three or point three is, how can he be both? And here's where we get to my favorite verse in recent memory. Verse 15, we read the beginning part already. And now the plan of mercy could not be brought about except an atonement should be made. Therefore, and here's the part I missed. Therefore, God himself atones for the sins of the world to bring about the plan of mercy, to appease the demands of justice, that God might be a perfect, just God 
and a merciful God only. President Packer didn't intend the creditor to be a symbol for the Father, but that's how I took it. God the Father is the just creditor. Jesus is the merciful mediator. However, Alma is very clear. Jesus is the just God. He's the creditor. However, Jesus is also a merciful God. And the best explanation that I've ever heard of this comes from Elder Holland. He says this, Christ is not only a mediator, but also a judge. It is in that role of judge that we may find even greater meaning in the expression that, quoting verse 15, God himself will come down to redeem his people. It is as if the judge in that great courtroom in heaven, unwilling to ask anyone but himself to bear the burdens of the guilty people standing in the dock, takes off his judicial robes and comes down to earth to bear their stripes personally. Christ, as merciful judge, is as beautiful and wonderful a concept as that of Christ as counselor, mediator, and advocate. As I studied this topic and searched for a few um, general conference talks, of course, we're going to find the mediator, the talk that, and I'm mentioning these talks because they're worth a listen, um, the mediator by President Packer, and a recent one from Elder Holland, the Where Justice, Love, and Mercy Meet. And in both of those talks, um, the song that both of them mentioned was the song from Eliza R. Snow, How Great the Wisdom and the Love. And she was a wonderful woman. <laughs> I wish I knew more about her. You've been studying um, a lot about her. Yeah. And I, maybe that's why this touched me so much, but... I'm just going to read this last, this is verse 6, I think, from the song. How great, how glorious, how complete, redemption's grand design, where justice, love, and mercy meet in harmony divine. And I think that last line right there, where justice, love, and mercy meet in harmony divine, explains that quote that you just read from Elder Holland so well, that this is who Christ is. He is love. That is how he is able to be just and merciful at the same time, because where where justice, love, and mercy meet is Jesus Christ, the Savior. Yeah, they meet in him. I love the image of a judge who is completely just. Christ doesn't bend rules. He doesn't make exceptions. He can't, or he'll cease to be God. However, he cannot bear, as the judge in your courtroom, as the one who pronounces the guilty sentence, and he does pronounce that sentence. Paul's very clear. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Each one of us stands in front of the judge and is accused of being guilty. But it's not someone else that comes into the courtroom. It is Christ himself that looks down on you as the guilty one and says, I can't bear that you go to prison for your mistakes or for your sins. I can't bear that you are punished. And so he takes off his robes and he comes down and he takes your spot as the guilty one and he pays the price. He goes to prison. He gets the B grade or the C grade or the F grade. He takes it all so that you can go free. That's the message Alma has for his wayward son. It's not 
um, a beating over the head of justice. It's explaining how strict justice is so that when you are mercifully freed from justice because of a wonderful and loving, merciful judge and mediator, your gratitude is even greater. Imagine how you'd feel walking out of that courtroom and looking back at the Savior who just took your spot and is going to pay every ounce of your consequence. What would you feel? What would you want to say to him? After he does his time in prison for your sins and is freed and he comes to you, what would you say to him? What would you do to him? That's the power of justice and mercy combined in the singular person of the Savior, Jesus Christ. So as you think and as you study, remember him, remember his justice, and remember his mercy. Thank you again for being here and for listening in. And we extend that invitation again that we proposed at the beginning to please send us any of your experiences with the scriptures or study tips that you have. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And I think that's it. See you next Thank episode. You. We'll see you then.